al-Sisi, the former Egyptian army chief, is now Egyptian president. He won election this week with an astounding 96% of the vote. That wasn't exactly a surprise. The main opposition group, the Muslim Brotherhood, was banned from participating in the election uh, ever since that their leader, the elected Mohamed Morsi, was ousted from power by al-Sisi and his crew uh, last summer. To say Egypt post-revolution has been tumultuous would be something of an understatement. And to help put all of this in context and help me understand where Egypt has been and where it might be going, I caught up with Isander El-Amrani of the International Crisis Group. This was a really clarifying conversation. If you have 15 or 20 minutes and want to understand the context that gave rise to Al-Sisi, have a listen. I know it helped me understand what's going on. I'm, I'm sure it will help you. A quick programming note, you can find all these interviews on UN Dispatch, and you can subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes. Uh, And every Monday, I'll be posting longer interviews with foreign policy newsmakers. And every Thursday, I post shorter interviews with journalists or think tank types about something topical in the news, which is what you're about to hear. Here it is, my conversation with Isander El-Amrani. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I wanted to, I guess, start off by asking you, um, you know, events, at least on the ground, political events, from my perspective, seem to happen sort of very quickly. I wanted to, uh, with you, just to kind of take a step back. And ask you, um, you know, why you think the the counter revolution that brought Al Sisi to power seems to have been so successful? Well, I mean, uh, first using the words counter revolution, that's one side's uh, vocabulary. So, uh, what so would be the, the sort of neutral second, term of art uh, for revolution? It? I think it's a mixture of things, really. Uh, the, the, there's definitely an element of it that is a counter revolution, as in the uh, forces of the ancien regime of the Mubarak era see in uh, the overthrow of Mohammed Morsi and the the, the banning of the Muslim Brotherhood and the, the, the rise of uh, uh, Abu Fatah al-Sisi as an opportunity for a comeback after it looked like they would be uh, barred from the political scene. But it's also a little bit more complicated than that because there's also an element of the population that generally supports uh, certainly the overthrow of uh, Morsi, uh, otherwise uh, Sisi himself, uh, as the solution to Egypt's problem. It's not necessarily from a counter-revolutionary stance. It may simply be they don't like Islamists, they don't like 
the performance of uh, Morsi, or more generally, they're not happy about the last three years in Egypt, which has been uh, a roller coaster ride of uh, insecurity, economic problems, and so on. So uh, I think just that's why we need to be a little bit careful about the term. The coalition of people in Egypt who support CC are diverse, and I don't think it's fair to say that they are all uh, uh, counter-revolutionary when they include people who are clearly from the old regime to people who simply were perhaps scared about the rise of, a, of an Islamist uh, party in Egypt, and that includes many of uh, Egypt's uh, Coptic Christian uh, community. How would you characterize sort of the base of uh, al-Sisi's support? Well, I mean, it's difficult to really get an accurate reading of uh, uh, how wide the support base of al-Sisi is. And that's because the media environment today is overwhelmingly for Sisi and extremely hostile to not just the Muslim Brotherhood and its anti-coup alliance, but really anyone who uh, sways from the mainstream pro-Sisi narrative. My rule of thumb analysis, based on past electoral results, uh, the little polling that has taken place, and just my knowledge of the place, is that you probably have about 30% of the population that is generally convinced that Sisi is uh, the only choice for Egypt now. You have 20% who are incredibly opposed to him because they're supporters of the Muslim Brothers, because they're, they, they, they see uh, the overthrow of uh, Mohammed Morsi as an undemocratic coup or other reasons. And you have the bulk of the Egyptian population, maybe 50%, that currently goes with the flow, is generally pro-CC, especially in this media environment, but may not be that pro-CC in a year's time or in two years' time. So while the current environment may seem overwhelmingly pro-CC, in some respects, we have to take it with a grain of salt because public opinion can be fickle, number one. And number two, uh, the, it's not really a, a fair and level environment in which to, to, to gauge that public opinion in the absence, especially of uh, uh, freedom of the press for people who, who, who are against CC. And I guess how um, do – how have you sort of – Experienced, or, or how how have uh, the supporters of Morsi expressed or vented their uh, frustration and anger with the situation that sort of you know led to his imprisonment? Uh, and I guess it, it, there's sort of an ongoing crackdown uh, too against uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, and sort of the political space in in Egypt seems to be shrinking right now. Well, I mean, things have changed over time, and really in the last eight months since uh, Morsi was overthrown, uh, supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood and of, uh, or, or people, simply people who were against what is called the military coup and uh, the unconstitutional overthrow of a democratic elected president, many of them took to the street, occupied uh, squares in Cairo. We had a situation in July where uh, and, and half of August, where it appeared that uh, uh, these people were resolute that they would not budge, they would continue to maintain these squares, and they thought they would get uh, some sort of, if not a return to uh, the previous situation, a better negotiating position. 
Uh, what really changed, though, is the events of uh, 14th of, to 17th of August of uh, 2013, where uh, the police intervened and with uh, uh, quite uh, heavy uh, brutality to remove uh, people who had occupied two main squares in Cairo. Some of the people in those, pro uh, in those squares uh, were armed and, and uh, resisted, and over those three days, it's estimated that at least 1,200 people died, and many others uh, were wounded. And that really changed things in the sense that it was no longer simply about the question of democratic principle, uh, whether the Constitution was being upheld, or whether Morsi was a good or bad president. It became a human rights issue, and you know, since then, there has been an international movement in support of the Muslim Brotherhood that has taken as its symbol not Morsi, but a gesture, the four-finger gesture, which is a reference to Rabbi Radawi Square in Cairo, where the main massacre took place. Rabbi meaning four in Arabic. Um, now, the situation has evolved quite dramatically, really, since even then, since in December the, uh, the current Egyptian government declared the Muslim Brotherhood to be a terrorist organization, which pretty much closed the door on any possible mediated or negotiated solution, which is what uh, countries uh, like the U.S. and uh, uh, members of the European Union had been uh, advocating before. So it's really fallen back in the absence of any prospects for mediation on the, 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 the different government's own terms, essentially following a roadmap that would restore an elected uh, government through uh, first the rewriting of the Constitution and a referendum to prove it that took place in January. Uh, next, the presidential elections that will take place uh, at the end of uh, May and uh, by the end of the year, a new parliamentary election. Is this, is the banning of, of the Muslim Brotherhood a sort of sustainable solution? Um, you know, it seems that, you know, there is this group that has a large, you know, a, a, a very large constituency, maybe not a majority, but a large enough constituency, you know, to be like a legitimate political force. Uh, it seems that you can't just sort of ban their, uh, you know, legitimate political aspirations and hope to sort of be a stable democracy going forward? Well, it, it, it's certainly an extremely problematic decision in several ways. I mean, the, the government may have a point in saying that the uh, Muslim Brotherhood needs to fully register legally, be transparent about the way it's financed and its membership and so on, just like any other civil society organization has to in Egypt. And it's true that the Muslim Brotherhood had benefited from this ambiguity in the last few decades, not just because they wanted to, but because the Mubarak regime uh, never recognized it, but tolerated it. So, and, and it's true that the Muslim Brotherhood was slow in getting its house in order in that respect. Uh, that being said, I, this uh, decision creates multiple problems. One, as you mentioned, is the fact that the Muslim Brotherhood is a, the largest political for, force in the country, has many followers, uh, uh, and represents a current in Egyptian politics that is Islamist current, that is, uh, although it has several components, that is uh, an important one. Uh, the, the, um, and of course, it's doubly problematic when 
the a politician from the Muslim Brotherhood uh, was the former president and was deposed, and also it had a plurality of seats in the last parliament, which was uh, cancelled by a court decision. Uh, so, so this raises the real issue of, of can Egypt really integrate a movement like the Muslim Brotherhood? Uh, you know, the fear on the anti-Brotherhood side is that if you allow the Muslim Brotherhood in, they'll take, in everything, take over everything and then change the nature of the state, move away from the secular traditions of Egypt, and so on. On the other hand, if you don't allow the Muslim Brotherhood at all, then, then you, you, you're pretty much condemning yourself to dysfunctional politics in which a major component of your society is being uh, excluded. And Egypt hasn't really found a way to resolve this uh, situation yet, and it's complicated by the government's decision to brand the, the Brotherhood as a terrorist organization, because uh, first, it's not the government has yet to provide compelling evidence that the Brotherhood has supported or is involved in violence, and secondly, uh, even if uh, uh, as is, uh, can be fairly reasonably assessed. Some members of the Brotherhood, especially younger members, may be tempted by radicalization, by violence. Uh, the groups that have carried out the most uh, uh, spectacular terrorist attacks, uh, groups like Antarctica Lectis in uh, Sinai, are uh, distinct things from the Muslim Brotherhood. And again, the government has not made the case that they are the one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, how much um, blame? I mean, blame is maybe a strong word, but how much sort of responsibility over the sort of uh, his losing of a grip on power do you put on Morsi? Was he just sort of a bad politician? You know, the the sort of line on him was that he, you know, he was sort of kind of an unknown. He was a technocrat, sort of thrust into this position, um, but he seems not to have acquitted himself in a way that. Um, necessarily strengthened his his hold on power. Yeah. Mohammed Morsi was a political boss of the Muslim Brotherhood, much more than a technocrat, and okay. he was quite successful in the last 15 years in uh, engineering the uh, electoral strategy of the Brotherhood. That did see make some major gains, but unfortunately, that really didn't translate into him uh, gaining the kind of uh, statesman-like uh, stature and broad base. Uh, that would have been desirable in this quite delicate phase in Egypt's transition. Mohammed Morsi uh, ruled in an exclusionary manner uh, and seemed to believe that the result of the elections, uh, 51% for, uh, voted for him in 2012, plus the past results of the disbanded parliament, in which the, the Brotherhood and more broadly Islamists were in a majority position, uh, uh, were enough for him to go ahead and do what he wanted. Uh, and this was a, a, a severe misreading of the situation uh, in, in, a, in, in the balance of power in, a, in an Egypt where democracy was very young, where uh, the, there, there was a lot of institutional resistance inside the state to the rise of any democratic force. And, or, or, and certainly, or any political force that would be outside of the traditional uh, ones that, that were supported by the state under uh, Mubarak, um, and 
know, ultimately, Mohamed Morsi made, made huge mistakes. Probably the biggest ones are uh, uh, grabbing some uh, the power to uh, dismiss judicial decisions in late November 2012, and then in December 2012, rushing through, ramming through, really, a constitution uh, without uh, seeking to create consensus. Although the brothers would say that they had attempted to create a consensus, but the uh, secularists who were in the minority uh, uh, kept trying to spoil that, uh, the, those efforts. Um, and really, ultimately, uh, those were the two big mistakes of the Morsi presidency, and by the end, he made a mistake of judgment in thinking that in the face of mass protests, the military would not dare to intervene to depose him, and that the international community would not accept that if it happened, especially the U.S. would not accept that, and you know, he was wrong on both counts. Um, how I'm sort of fascinated about how um, Egyptian liberals are sort of you know, experiencing this situation right now. Uh, what's their you know, what's the what what are their conversations like? What are your conversations with Egyptian liberals like? Is there despair? Is there sort of hope? A, a mixture of the well, two? Well, I mean, the, the term Egyptian uh, liberal is a bit uh, of a confusing one because it really ranges. You know, it's used as a blanket term to talk about a lot of people. Uh, for instance, liberals, as in the European understanding of the term, as in the kind of centre-right people, uh, so, you know, represented in the in the uh, major parties, uh, 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 largely backed the coup against Morsi. So did uh, people from the traditional left, the the very statist. Uh, a reconstructed left who, you know, believes in, in the power of the state above everything else, and, 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 and we're always hostile to Islamists. And if you're talking about progressive forces, liberals in the American uh, sense, um, some of them initially were so angry at Morsi and what they felt was a betrayal of revolutionary principles by Morsi that they supported the uprising in the 1930s against them. It's important to remember that those huge protests against them were not, uh, uh, at least officially, in favor of the army intervening. They were for Morsi to step down, uh, or at least call for early presidential elections. So there's a certain uh, degree of, among that, among that crowd, uh, a certain degree of uh, buyer's remorse. And then there's people among those progressive uh, secularists who uh, never supported the overthrow of Morsi and uh, do feel uh, despair now, not just because of the level of repression, which is, uh, in, in the last six months has really been some of the most serious and uh, far-reaching repression that Egypt has seen in decades, but also because this wave of repression has, has at least it appears right now, been, been overwhelmingly approved by the public, uh, a public that is tired of political unrest, tired of economic uh, problems, and tired of uh, the lack of security on the ground. Um, how uh, how would you um, uh, characterize the U.S. policy right now? I mean, it seems you, there is this sort of ongoing wave of repression right now, which would suggest to me at least that U.S. influence in uh, Egypt is probably at, at a historic low level. Um, well, uh, I think if, if you think that 
more repression in Egypt suggesting U.S. influence is is is, uh, is at a low moment, that would suggest that you think that the U.S. is putting serious pressure on Egypt to stop that repression. Uh, I'm not sure that this is the case. The prime the primary uh, interests that the U.S. has in Egypt are. Uh, with regards to regional security, military deployment, uh, intelligence and security collaboration, the safety of the Suez Canal, the sanctity of the Egypt-Israel peace treaty, and other kind of uh, strategic regional issues, uh, human rights and democracy have always played second or third fiddle to these primary issues. And the U.S. has not uh, publicly uh, made that much noise, really, about the, the extent of repression uh, in Egypt. And when, even when it makes a tiny noise, it faces a, a, a barrage of assault by the Egyptian media, which has grown perhaps more anti-U.S. than at any point in the past. My assessment would be that the U.S. is just trying to find a way to uh, get back to the uh, uh, old way of uh, doing business under Mubarak, and, but, but would like ideally to find uh, uh, the Egyptian government to help it do that by so, not, uh, by, you know, by, by, by toning down the repression and not having uh, events or decisions that really uh, uh, outrage the world, such as a few weeks ago, 529 people being sentenced uh, to death in a, for the death of uh, for the killing of one police officer. So the U.S. isn't exactly sort of pushing hard to have the uh, sort of current government reinclude uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in in sort of legitimate politics. No, no. At the moment, it's not. Uh, I think there was a time where it was advocating that choice, but it never really uh, pushed uh, that hard for it when it saw the. Uh, the amount of resistance the, uh, the, the new government uh, had to this idea. In any case, it doesn't seem to be much, um, much um, uh, appetite for this, either within the government now or even within the Muslim Brotherhood now. Um, and, and just to wrap things up, how would you recommend a, a way forward? What, um, what sort of steps would the government of Muslim Brotherhood take to, um, you know, immediate, to, to sort of Make, make the situation slightly better than it is, or at least change the trajectory of how things are going? <coughs> well, the, the problem on the Muslim Brotherhood side is that even if the leadership were interested in carrying out such a deal, and some elements of the leadership are, there is so much anger among their base, especially after so many people were killed or arrested and brutalized and so on, that uh, such a move is very, very difficult to sell to the base. And because the organization and its leadership, which is mostly in jail today, has been so thoroughly disrupted, I mean, most of the leadership is either in prison or in exile today, uh, it's very difficult for the organization to advance that. Uh, more widely, the Muslim Brotherhood would need to, rather than continue on its current path, which is basically to say, uh, we are going to continue protesting and making life impossible for the Egyptian government, which has real 
has a real negative impact, yes, perhaps on the government, but also on Egyptian society, on this economy getting back on track and so on. Adopting a more conciliatory tone, which doesn't mean that it needs to drop its grievances, especially over the, the police brutality, but uh, uh, simply uh, try, and, try and send a message that it is not, it, its intent is not to bring down the state in Egypt. You know, it, 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 may oppo it, it may oppose the overthrow of Mohammed Morsi, but it, its intent is not to be a destabilizing uh, uh, factor. I think, and beyond that, it needs to acknowledge more forcefully uh, the, some of the, the mistakes it made during uh, the Morsi administration. On the government side, there's a need for de-escalation. The, the, the Egypt is facing a real terrorist threat. There have been some quite large terrorist attacks against uh, security buildings. There's an uh, ongoing trickle of assassinations of police officers, army officers, and so on. Uh, the trend has been that it keeps getting worse, and that, may, that could very well continue. So uh, the government's response of mixing the dangerous terrorists like Ansarwit, like these, and, and uh, you know, uh, jihadist groups with a broad-based social movement like the Muslim Brotherhood uh, is self-defeating in two ways. It's going to make solving the political crisis in Egypt more difficult because you're confusing people who are politicians with people who are armed uh, militants. And it's making this, resolving the security crisis more difficult because you're casting too wide the net. If everyone, anyone who has his own sympathies is a terrorist, then, then, then you know you're talking about a quarter of the population. Um, so uh, the, the, the government should probably pursue the de-escalation strategies. Uh, it has it's estimated to have at least 20,000 people in jail. Many of the lower, the, the ones who are being held without charges, uh, for instance, uh, uh, could be released. Some high-profile uh, detainees. Uh, who do not face serious charges either uh, 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 could also be released. It's going to take, I think, longer to get to a full-fledged reconciliation, but at least that would set, that would calm things down. Like I said, that was super interesting, super helpful, informative, offered some context to a very complex situation. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.